Today's show is brought to you by Seersucker Brooklyn. For more information, visit SeersuckerBrooklyn.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In The Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn! Finally, back in Bushwick. How you doing, Stas? Good. Yeah, Stas back in the studio. It's been about, it's been a full month since we've been uh, live in the studio. Jack, uh, how you doing over there? Yeah, I've been lonely, let me tell you. Oh, now you're just making me feel good. You know how sad it was to do Cooking Issues just with you and Stas on the phone? (laughs) Well, I also, you know what else I heard? Like we used up all of the uh, all of the phone lines. Someone tried to call in. I heard later that someone tried to call in and they couldn't because of the whole. You know, we were just mm-hmm. sucking up the phone, hogging juice. up the phone bandwidth, just, just sucking that crap up. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen. Uh, so we also have with us in the studio today Moses. What's your last name, Moses? Moses Jarena. Moses what? Moses Jarena. Jarena. Here, I'll get yourself a mic, Moses. <laughs> So no one gets to no one gets to hang out here without me pestering them. So what is it that what is it that you do here at the Heritage Radio? I just take care of the social media stuff. Yeah. 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 So you, like, what does that what does that mean? Well, like live tweeting during the shows, taking pictures, you know, yeah. general PR stuff. Yeah. I, I, well, and you're you're on the at Heritage Radio. Yeah. All right. So listen. Let's say you have a job. I don't know, but you're listening to this on earphones or something. Why don't you instead of live tweeting your questions in, you can tweet a question to Moses at at Heritage Radio. What's what's our full handle there? At Heritage Radio. Heritage underscore Radio. At Heritage underscore Radio. You tweet that in, and that's as good as calling. Because I don't know, maybe you can't call. Maybe you're somewhere where you can't call, but you want to tweet in a question. You can live tweet in a question, and Moses will read it uh, to me on the air, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Or you can call in your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Uh, so how you been, Stas? Good. Yeah? Anything yeah. anything good or bad happening? Nope. Nothing? Nope. Nothing? Mm. All right. How about you? Well. Yeah, what happened to you? Well, okay. So I've been gone for a number of reasons. But the reason we weren't in the studio last week is I was recovering from a minor minor bout of the surgery. It all happens to us as we, uh, as we get older. Uh, but the good thing about – well, the bad thing about the recovering from uh, this particular surgery is that uh, – you know, I was kind of laid up for a number of days, and I couldn't really do anything. And I, you know, you're, you know how like your mind is kind of scrambled when you're recovering, so it's not like I could do real work. But what I could do is watch Netflix. <laughs> and so uh, what, what I ended up watching, Columbo. I watched like an insane amount of Columbo, and there's there's an insane amount of Columbo actually on on Netflix for you to watch. Does you ever watch Columbo? No, no, Mm-mm. it's in L.A. Mm. Do you, Rockford Files? No. Do you watch any of the L.A. based? Do you care about anything? Like what? What did you? What L.A. Stas, by the way, from the L.A. area, so this is like not what, – what L.A.-based TV shows did you watch, if any? Uh, Melrose Place. I never watched that kind of yeah, crap. So. Columbo <laughs> – Columbo is a ama- – Jack, Columbo? No, sorry. Oh, Jesus. Moses? Wasn't that during like the 40s the f- or something? The 40s? Oh. The 40s? <laughs> Jesus. I have heard of it though. Oh, my – first of all, okay, for those of you out there – 
it's a little bit slower than modern kind of mystery things because you know back then people could they had what what do they call it? I think attention span. People had attention spans back in the uh, 70s. But uh, Columbo is like the greatest character ever by one of my favorite actors of all time, Peter Falk, sadly dead. Uh, but Peter Falk, glass eye. I love any actor with a glass eye. Stas, you know I love a glass eye. Love a glass eye. Anywho, Peter Falk has a glass eye. And by the way, he used to, he, like he was hilarious with it. He got his glass eye when he was a kid. I think it was an accident. And one of the things he used to do was uh, he would play baseball. And like if he didn't like the call, he would literally pop his glass eye out and hand it to the ump. How sweet is that? It's so sweet. Anyway, uh, so Columbo. What's awesome about it is Columbo is like a study in 1970s kind of class warfare. So Columbo is this detective who's like he's run, he's rumpled. He's got the he's got the coat on. He drives a really crappy Peugeot that like no one else drives. It's like all beat up and mangled. And he never and he has a really crappy dog that won't do anything that he says. Uh, and so he has this kind of real rumpled mess thing going on. And all of the murderers that Columbo deals with are kind of rich. Either rich, really rich, really smart, really snooty, some combination of like upper crust. And he sits there and kind of systematically takes them down with his like insane like logic. He's like the detective version of a Socrates, who's also an ugly man, by the way, Socrates. Ugly man and kind of, you know, like kind of weird, weird. Anyway, so Columbo, amazing show, amazing. But uh, there's kind of, there's one that I, I really want to focus on. The reason I'm bringing it up on cooking issues, because uh, otherwise, why would I be talking about Columbo, right? Is uh, in season seven, I made it all the way through seven seasons. Season seven, which is the last one on Netflix, 1978, there's an episode called Murder Under Glass. Now, if you're a cook, you got to watch Murder – well, if you're a cook who cares about like old-style uh, old cooking, you have to watch Murder Under Glass. My, pri- like, you, you, do we ever, have we talked about who's killing the great chefs of Europe? No. All right. Who's killing – anyone seen Who's Killing the Great Chefs of Europe? No. Nope. Another great 70s – that's a movie, a great movie from the 70s where uh, the shtick is that this guy – I'm not going to ruin it for you about why, but all of these – the great chefs of Europe, duh, are getting murdered. But here's the awesome part. They're getting murdered uh, using the techniques that, uh, that are used to make their signature dishes, right? Wow. So I'll give, you, I'll give you one of the signature dishes, pressed duck. I'll leave it there, pressed duck. Uh, I'll give you another one, ice cream bomb. Great, great, great. Anyway, but like, so that's one of my favorite movies for like seeing uh, a particular style of food manufacturer that you don't necessarily get to see anymore because they're putting it in, in movie format. Now, the common movies that we look at to, to see kind of crazy over-the-top food stuff would be what? Like Le Grand Bouffe, which has uh, my man Marcel Mastriani, where they all eating each other to death. They eat, to, they eat themselves to death. But it's not really – I mean it's not so interesting from a gastronomic standpoint like what they're, what they're, what they're eating necessarily. Babette's Feast, obviously, classic. Cook, Thief, Wife, Lover. But I'm not so into seeing someone like you know the Peter Eaters, which is I guess how you describe the end of that movie. You've seen Cook, Thief, Wife, mm-hmm. Lover, right? Mm-hmm. Do you like that movie? I don't remember it well. You don't remember? How can you not remember? You seen this thing, Moses? No, I haven't. Jack? <laughs> Sorry, man. We're striking out today. The hell? Anywho. We don't have a lot of time. Oh, oh yeah. Movies. Oh, don't have a lot. Of, you didn't have a lot of time when you were, when you were 12 with, to, to watch a movie. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? I didn't have a lot of time the entire time I've been alive. Oh, Crazy. I don't Give usually, me that crap. I, don't okay. I, don't have, I, I hate that crap. That's such New York crap. I don't have the time to go watch a movie. This movie has been out since before you were freaking born, Stas. You had all of your freaking life to watch it. I choose not to watch it. All right, you choose not to watch it. Not that I don't have time. I choose not to watch it. That's much more reasonable. Anyway, the awesome (laughs) thing about this Columbo... Oh, I I watch Melrose Place. I have the time for freaking Melrose Place. Not time for freaking, you know, like, uh, like, uh, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. But the... uh, (laughs) 
Melrose Place, really time-worthy pursuit right there. Anyways. If anybody wants to sponsor a viewing party, we can maybe facilitate this. You know? I would love to do that. You know, uh, like I was going to – I have to do this thing in Toronto Film Festival – uh, where the movie that um, it's a food based movie and like all the good ones that like Willy Wonka which is like one of my all time or Charlie Chaplin I never remember the, the, not the Depp one the other one although I love Depp like uh, yeah, the Gene Wilder which yeah. you've seen that one right yeah definitely yeah. one of God's great movies that's an amazing movie life changing movie chocolate dwarves amazing uh, it has everything yeah everything everything you can want it has it has like kids turning into blueberries I mean it's classic you know <laughs> uh, it's got Gene I know you love Gene Wilder stuff. She's shaking her head up and down. She's giving the happy Stas face, which is rarely seen. But Gene Wilder, I mean, come on now. Gene Wilder? I mean, Gene Wilder. Anyway, so uh, that was taken. I got stuck with Soylent Green, which yeah, I like Charlton Heston, right? But, I mean, I don't know. Soylent Green, you seen that movie? It's no. made of people. You're familiar with the It's Made of People line? You've seen Saturday Night Live. No, yes, I, 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 I'm familiar with that line. All right, yeah. It's made yeah. of yes, because Soylent Green, the, 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 I don't know why I'm getting into this. Soylent Green is like the idea is, is that everyone's eating this food and it's, ma- it's made of people. And uh, so they're crushing people up in this kind of futuristic thing and then turning them into food to feed other people. Hello, it's called Perpetual Motion Machine. That can't work. That can't work. It's like Ponzi. It's pyramid scheme. You can't crush people to feed people because like, you know, it, it, all, like almost right away you would run out of people. Think of how much food you eat every day. You know what I mean? Over the course of a year, yeah. I mean, like, it's unsustainable, wouldn't even a couple work. of years. What? You said it wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. Not even for a couple of years it wouldn't work. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, as a supplement, maybe, right? I mean, as a don't waste, as, as, you know, as, a, as, a, you know, as a don't waste the, the meat policy, maybe, but not as an actual, like, you know, regular staple component of your diet. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's like when you see gerbils and you have too many gerbils in a cage and they start eating each other. No one makes it out alive. It's not a situation where... You know, it's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll eat, you will, all 10 of us will eat one gerbil today and then tomorrow we'll quit. No, it doesn't work that way. Anyway, back to Colombo. So in this murder under glass, the, the, the murderer is a restaurant critic in San Francisco, no, in L.A., I guess, uh, in, the, um, in the 70s, in the late 70s, 1978. And Colombo is like, uh, because he's solving the murder of one of the great chefs uh, of, the, of the community there, all the other chefs feed him amazing food and the entire episode is one amazing long kind of food porn from the 70s and it's kind of food that you don't see uh you know nowadays for the for the most part and uh what was really awesome about it was is just like the breadth of crazy stuff for instance they had fugu in it now who was thinking of fugu back you know fugu's the poison puffer fish from uh from uh you know, in Japanese food. And who the hell in the 70s in the U.S. was thinking about fugu, uh, pufferfish? But not only did they talk about it, not only did they have a pufferfish there, but uh, they served a full-on uh, fugu course at, uh, at this dinner that they had, and it was done right. I don't know if you, have you guys ever seen a plate of fugu? I've no. seen it on The Simpsons, actually. And did they do it right? It's like they look like feathers almost, like the no. fugu. So puffer fish is kind of stretchy, right? And so they sl- slice it thin, and it's almost like these kind of like feathered out. It's like on, a, on like a large kind of circular plate, and it's feathered out in almost like a like – a, like a like a dahlia kind of effect or like a peacock kind of effect where like the pieces are kind of overleafed on each other and feathered up. Mm. And – Damn it! They did it like dead on. They did it like dead. In fact, fugu poison was the the, the poison of choice in this uh, in this Colombo episode. But then they they had like this amazing looking panettone. They had like a bunch of foie gras stuff, which back in the seventies was rare in the U.S. Like, uh, but then he goes to a dinner at a French restaurant, and they bust out all of the sick 
like present presentation stuff from like some of my favorite books. So, uh, and this is what kind of, they, the, for instance, like they do a rock lobster that's been eviscerated, cooked, and then the meat layered in aspic and decorated all down the, down the back of it with the uh, sick presentations like salmon, uh, you know, on aspic with truffles, like all, like all the old school, all the old school stuff. So you have to watch it just for that. But what it made me think of is old books. And, uh, <clears throat> have we done a lot of old book talking on here on the, on a, yeah. some mm-hmm. like, like what, what have we talked about? I don't know. You don't know because you're reading another book right now, another old book right now, which we could talk about instead of paying attention. Even when Nastasha doesn't bring her computer, she cannot be bothered to pay attention to what's going on in the show. She's literally reading a book that I was reading on the subway on the way over here right now instead of paying attention to what's going on. We got a caller. Oh, all right. We'll, we'll get back to the old books on a minute. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Doing all right. Very well. Uh, and my name is Antoine, just calling in from Boca Raton, Florida. Nice, Boca Raton. Uh, I, I'm, in fact, wearing Florida uh, garb right now. I have on a uh, linen guayabera. Yeah. No way. Yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I got Holy. my I got my uh, my Spanish uh, boss hog, my El Jefe de Cerdo outfit on. I have a Panama hat I was walking over here with, my linen guayabera. I'm all set. What's up? Yeah, I was going to ask, actually, to a previous episode you had done where you had mentioned you went to uh, Boca. I just wanted to see if there's any places you ever recommended here. That's one question. Hmm. The second is I always like making sushi at home, but I don't like purchasing like expensive sushi-grade tuna. And I was wondering what level of contamination you think there is if I was to go to Whole Foods and just buy their fish and make it with that. Well, I mean, I'm sure like if you see a piece of tuna that – I mean, look, let me put it this way. The sushi tuna, the, the tuna that is used, the high-end tuna that's used out there for, for sushi, it, it, it has as much or more mercury as anything else that you're, you're going to get, right? Because um, they're all kind of unsustainably captured. And um, it, it, so for the first question is, is like we're talking like real tuna like, blue, like bluefin. The first question is whether or not you want to actually deal in the market with that because it's seriously, seriously, seriously overfished right now. But uh, in terms of the mercury, like the, the issue with any sort of top-chain predator fish like a, like a tuna is that um, as long as they're eating stuff in the wild, they're bioaccumulators. So the, the bigger they are and the older they are, the more mercury they're going to have in them. And that's why if you see these kind of low-mercury or mercury-free tunas in cans – all they're really doing is they're getting younger tuna that haven't had the time to bioaccumulate uh, as much mercury. So there's that on the, on the mercury contamination. Now, as far as bacterial contamination, also there shouldn't be too much of an issue with a whole mussel fish because uh, bacteria is only going to get into the inside of a fish where it's been jabbed or, or poked. So now you've got two remaining uh, questions, and that is the quality of the fish in general. And then uh, the second thing is the actual kind of taste quality. So what happens to fish as it gets too old is that it, um, you know, it starts oxidizing. It starts losing its textural properties. And that's where it's kind of like in terms of, uh, in terms of the, the muscle quality, uh, the actual taste, muscle quality, texture, and the kind of oxidative stress that the muscle has gone through. That's where the really expensive tuna is going to start breaking free from the less expensive tuna, right? So like a really, really fancy uh, piece of tuna, not only is it like a high-quality high muscle, but it's been treated right. For instance, like tuna that is just destined to become sushi, they uh, usually they're in uh, a farm, which is a misnomer. It's not really farmed. What they do is they capture wild tuna and then they uh, fatten them up in pens. Uh, but they what they do is they send divers out every day to dive around in the pools. At least they used to. I haven't researched it in a couple of years. They send divers to swim around in the pools with harpoons all all day every day so that these tuna get used to seeing these human divers like going around and then 
uh, when it comes time to harvest one, actually, I, they use, yeah, they're electric stun harpoons. They would they would hit them with the thing, which gives them a, a, an electric jolt. The electric jolt is very finely tuned to not snap the spine because if it snaps the spine uh, or you know it's too violent uh, on the convulsions, you can get blood spots in the meat, and that kind of ruins uh, that section of the meat in terms of its uh, marketability. Then they bring the sh- uh, fish on board and they perform ikijime, where they put the needle through the spine. They do the bleed out and they put the needle through the spine. So all of those effects tend to increase the muscle quality greatly, but they also tend to increase the price. So they're only going to do that kind of work on tuna that's destined for a high-end kind of a sushi operation. So right away, the, the texture of the flesh is going to be a lot better in that situation. Also, when you're dealing with tuna, especially the fattier portions, which are you know kind of you know uh, like underneath and forward on the tuna, like those those pieces, uh, you want to leave them whole uh, as long as possible because anytime they're exposed to oxygen, they go under oxidative stress. So if you have someone in Whole Foods who's planking the steaks out like you know like uh, you know the day before or something like that then all of a sudden you get a lot more oxidation on that surface of the fish and it's not the oils aren't going to taste as good not as big of a deal in like the leaner cuts of tuna but a much bigger deal in the fattier cuts of tuna does that make sense yeah for sure yeah so you can definitely do it but another thing to do is to just you know find whatever kind of like local species like so many species of fish are actually good for uh, sashimi and for sushi but they're just you know they're not used uh, so widely because maybe they're not available in Japan. You know what I mean? And so, like, they just maybe haven't been used to uh, to great effect yet because there's not a, a culture of it. So, you know, I don't know what what's coming in right now in uh, in Florida that's considered like you know uh, good and and sustainable. But I would find something that comes in off of uh, you know a day boat there that you know is kept uh, like on ice the entire time, and then yeah, we we typically get. Grouper here, like that's a really good cut. Uh, I love gr- I love like, grouper, but if they, have they start? Have they start? I love grouper, but if they started getting grouper that they actually feel is like sustainable to harvest or no? Uh, well, I mean, like they do all wild caught here, so no, it's not quite sustainable yet. Right. But I mean, it is our freshest catch that we get here often. And what was the other one? Um, no, no, that was the other one. I was just saying. I, I usually take on a. Like, I, I'm usually more concerned about the contamination part. So, like, I'll often do, like, a Peruvian ceviche, you know, and then put that inside of a roll instead so that it cooks it more than anything else. Right. I mean, look, you know, if you if – you, I would just find, like, a fish like a fish uh, monger that you, you trust, especially if you can see the whole fish. Look, if you can see the whole fish before they, before they uh, chop it up, I mean, like, you know, it's what they, what they always taught me – and I, I still believe it is that you know you can if you if you can look at the gills and the eyes then you can trust a fish you know what I'm saying so if you yeah, if, yeah so it's like cl- clear eyes and and bright gills once the gills start going like that's when you know that you're you know you're not dealing with you're dealing with something that's been uh, sitting around uh, a while so um, you know although. I mean that that's generally what what I look for. So if you if you have the ability to check out the gills and the and the and the eyes, you know, then uh you know and obviously see whether or not you could tell also like I see a lot of fish that uh even though it's fresh, it got the hell beat out of it on the boat. You know what I mean? And so you can see that the body is like mangled and like you can see like 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 damage from like literal impact damage on the sides of the fish. 
And, you know, the, that fish will be fresh, but it won't necessarily – the muscle in that area won't necessarily be as good. And it's also indicative of other stress the fish probably went through during uh, catch and slaughter that might lead to uh, deterioration of qualities. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. So that's, that was excellent. I also was wondering if you recommend any places to eat when you're in Boca or the South Florida region. You know, uh, we didn't. I didn't really uh, eat out much. I was uh, I, I, last time I was there. I did a dinner with, um, or like an event with Chef Jeremiah Bullfrog, who's awesome. Uh, so you know, obviously, I, I like I like him. Uh, but we we spent most. Of, I spent most of my time uh, just eating as much kind of rare fruit as is humanly possible. And so you know, down in South Dade, I was going to. Um, I mean, the Fruit and Spice Park, which I think is amazing. And then also trying to go to the Fairchild to eat as much of the mango stuff that they had as they had uh, possible. And you know, I even went to uh, what's that place called? Styles Roberts. Remember that fruit fruit stand we oh, went to? Yeah, Roberts no, fruit. I saw it the other day um, in a photo. I can't remember. Yeah, which is like it's really expensive, but they have like all the cool all the cool kind of fruit down there. So like literally, I was just soaking in uh, fruit. And then, like my actual meals, because my family went down with me, is like you know the. My wife, like when I'm, especially when my kids are there, when they're there, like I don't really go out to any kind of f- fancy stuff. I go to what's easy for for the kids, and then spend most of my kind of research time on uh, on like the rare fruits that you can't get. You know what I mean? Totally. Well, with that being said, I've, I've called in before twice, and you've always been very helpful, and you've given me such great free knowledge. I'd love to return the favor. So, I mean, if there's something I, I have my family in Peru, I'd love to send you either something from there or from here. Just give me the request. I'd love to send it. Nice, whether well, it be beer or whatever. That's awesome. Over here, so I mean, someday I'll someday I'll get to go to Peru. It's like you know one of the obviously great culinary. Uh, it's like one of the great culinary stops in the world these days, and uh, you know it's just I've haven't been able to go yet. Someday I'll go. I mean, apparently it's just you know everyone tells me that it's amazing and just getting better and better. I mean. If you well, listen- if you go, I would I would love to recommend our, my family just started one of the first craft breweries over there. So really, well, shoot shoot uh, shoot me over a tweet at Cooking Issues, and uh, so you know, so I have your handle, and we'll uh, we'll stay in touch on that. Please, I would, like I said, I'd love to send you something. It's the least I can do for all the knowledge you've given me and everyone else, and it's the least I can do from one foodie to another. All right, well, I appreciate it, brother. Thanks so much. You guys have a great one. Thank you. Uh, you too. Hey, Jack, should we go to commercial break? That sounds like a great idea. All right, we'll be right back with more cooking issues. We'd like to send a special thank you to our latest business member, Seersucker. Seersucker is a 40-seat neighborhood spot inspired by the food and hospitality of the South. Chef owner Robert Newton, who hails from Arkansas, has crafted a cuisine inspired equally by his childhood favorites and the Carroll Street Green Market across the street. He relies upon small local farms and indie purveyors for many of his ingredients, so the menu changes frequently based on what's available and in season. Seersucker's beer, wine, and spirits list is all-American, with an emphasis on New York State. Learn more by visiting their website, seersuckerbrooklyn.com. To learn more about becoming a business member, email us, info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Hey, see, Jack, now I thought Seersucker, I was going to like go buy some Seersucker suits. And that's why I was even more grooving on the whole Boss Hog thing when I was wearing like, you know, the, the Guayabera because I thought we were going to like all of a sudden we're like all going to be dressed in Seersucker suits. We could go to Seersucker dressed in Seersuckers. You want to? I think we should. I mean, my most of my Seersucker, I have two Seersucker jackets, both of which were ruined. When you, so for those of you that go to Tales of the Cocktail, which is kind of the New Orleans, like, you know, booze-soaked debauch cocktail thing that you know we all have to go to every year if you're in the business uh like one of the things you're supposed to eventually do is wear a seersucker it's happened to me twice that someone has poured a freaking like staining cocktail on me during that during that event week week so both my both my both my seersucker jackets are uh they're kind of kind of ruined stas one let me wear was that the one stas where you said i thought we agreed that you weren't going to wear that anymore Remember, remember, I had one jacket that had been too stained that I really loved. Yes. And you were like, "I wore it to some shoot," and Stas is like, "I thought we had agreed that you would not wear that anymore." <laughs> All right. Actually, so I was going to get into some books. Oh, I do have one request though. It's not Peruvian. If anyone out there, you guys familiar with the sweet gum tree? Sweet gum? Anyone? No. <laughs> no one from New England over here. Jack, where'd you grow up again? New York. Long, sweet long gum island. tree, dude. Come on. Sweet. You know sweet gum tree. It, okay, it's the one that it's the one that drops the little balls that look like they came oh, from yeah, Minesweeper. Yeah. I'm looking at this. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's got a leaf that looks a little bit like a maple, but not, and it, it drops the little Minesweeper balls on the ground. Yeah, there's a lot of those sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the tree, the sweet gum tree, uh, Dax loves sweet gum trees because he sucks on the uh, on the leaves. He's like, it has a taste, it has a flavor. Would you like some flavor? Have a sweet gum leaf, and he, he starts eating him. And he doesn't really talk like that because he's a little so he you know his voice is a little more. But it's kind of like that. You've heard Dax; he talks like that. Anyways, so the sweet gum tree, uh, which everyone knows, I can't pronounce things. So in uh, it's a liquid, liquid umbar, a styracoflua is the uh, is the uh, name of that thing. But uh, you can harvest resin from the sweet gum tree that's supposed to be sweet and like good to kind of chew but i i don't have the ability to harvest any of it because i don't have land with my own trees that i can kind of you, you kind of you know you cut away a section of the bark you let it drip and then you harvest it and it dries out i think and it turns into this kind of a uh, sweet thing but if anyone who can hear the sound of my voice has access to some uh sweet gum resin I will gladly buy some because I'm dying to try it, and uh, it should have already happened by now because I think they probably do it in May, uh, you know, March, April, May. Although who knows what the season that we've had now, but it, it should be similar season, I would guess, to when um, to when maple to when maple uh, flow is. Although I don't know because I've never made it, but you know, or if you have access to it, you know, call me. And, like, you know, call in and tell me, like, how you make it because I just want more information. It's one of those, like, weird ingredients that, uh, that I really just have a jonesing to try. The same that, like, I did with hickory nuts, you know, a couple of years ago, which I still love. Oh, hickory nuts. And, um, you know, and some other – like, you know, I've never had an actual American persimmon. You ever had one? I don't think so. The wild American persimmon. I would, anyone that has access, I would like some. Uh, I will pay for them. Uh, another one is that I don't know if there are any, but I'd love to try uh, like an actual American chestnut. You familiar with the chestnut, uh, the, the destruction of the chestnut tree? No. Did you know that the chestnut, American chestnut was favored over all other chestnuts in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, its taste? And uh, the wood, it was one of the most common forest trees in all of, uh, in all of the United States. And in the span of uh, 30 years, both the chestnut and uh, the, uh, the elm, the American elm, which was the most common street tree in the, in the United States, were wiped out due to imported diseases from, um, you know, from uh, across, you know, from either China or, or Europe or some combination of China and Europe. And so the American chestnut tree is wiped out. 
I mean, wiped because the fun- what the fungus would do is the fungus would attack the tree and then girdle it. So, like, the fungus would literally, like, go underneath the top bark layer around to where the, the growing and the, and the fluid transportation was in the xylem, grow all the way around it, plug the tree up so the tree couldn't get food anymore, and then die out. Now, chestnut trees are interesting because they ground sprout a lot. So what you'd happen is, is that the main tree would die. Then you'd get little trees that would come up. They would survive for 10, 15 years or something like this. And then they would die. That would happen again and again and again. So there are American chestnut trees, but now they're kind of an understory uh, tree instead of a real one. But I don't know if any of those produce nuts. So if anyone has access to an American chestnut, I will gladly pay you for it. Also, butternuts. American, it's not the season. When it comes to be nut season, we'll talk more about the nuts. Anyway, I don't know what I was talking about. But, it, but if you have the liquid ambar, if you have the sweet gum, please let me know. So before we uh, talk about the uh, books, which because who knows whether I'll have time. You know how I get, Stas. You know how I get. Uh, why don't we get to some of the uh, questions? Chris wrote in, uh, I tried fitting the uh, – Moses, we got anything on the Twitter yet? Man, these people. These people. Uh, I tried fitting this uh, query into a tweet but could not provide enough info. So I called in, but it turns out you're on travel today, so I'll try an email. Uh, I'm hosting a Scandinavian dinner and trying to channel some inner Red Zeppi. Uh, I do a 10% brine for – this is the one I missed last week. Remember? Yes. Uh, I, I do a 10% brine first for texture and to prevent protein ooze, wrap it in birch bark seeds, uh, then uh, uh, boil to soften and kill the nasties in the birch bark, then sous vide at 50C for 30 minutes. It makes a nice presentation when served on the unwrapped bark and adds a little earthy note. Um, and I, I'm guessing it's cod uh, because he says he wants to double down on the cod. So anyways um, – I want to double down on the cod, so I want to create a bacalao cream. This is where we left off last week because it turns out Stas – what is it that you hate? Warm fish Everything. foams. Warm fish foams? What yes. about what about like a like a seafood like like canal of seafood mousse? Oof. What seafood mousse like canela seafood mousse, like what could be more delicious? What about a seafood sausage? No. Holy crap. You mean if I t- if, if I took like, Yeah, I'd eat it. I'd eat you're it. Speaking. Now you're speaking. No, I would eat it because I don't wouldn't want to hear it from you, but I wouldn't like it. You've had it before. Yeah. And you don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I like, don't like it. Like a poached fish it. mousse. Yes. What does Mark say about you not liking poached fish mousse? He deals. How is it that you don't like it? What is it you know? Seriously, what is it you don't like about it? I don't like cooked fish very much. And Hold I on. don't like it whipped, and I don't like it hot. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't like cooked fish very much. Mm-mm. But you like cooked fish as an ingredient like anchovies. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so salt cod. Can you think of salt cod as more of an ingredient? Yeah, I guess so. So have you had the fritters, the bacalaitos fritters? No, I haven't had those. It's like salt cod dumplings that are fried. It's good. <laughs> Real good. Stuff delicious. So you might be willing to try that because the fish is more of an ingredient and less of a main thing. Mm-hmm. So you might also be okay then with like a brandad where the salt cod is like mixed into – you're not like my son Booker and you don't like mashed potatoes, are you? I do, I do. For real? I like mashed potatoes. Okay, so you might also be okay with like a brandad where the salt cod is mixed into the mashed potatoes, but it's not about being fish. It's about being like an ingredient. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're getting a little more reasonable here. Now, a fish mousse, you're feeling that it's going to be too much like like a cooked fish. Yeah. But you've had it before. Yeah. All right, so we'll 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 I'll I'll leave it there. How the hell did it even come up? How do you how does that come up that you don't like cooked fish? What about what about fish sticks? No. Wait, you don't like fish sticks? No. Did you ever like fish sticks? Yeah, as a kid. And then what made you stop? At what point? They're gross. They're, they're, they're not gross. You can make them gross. There can be gross fish sticks, but like fried, a delicious fried battered fish done well 
is like a revelation. It's one of God's great foodstuffs, battered fried fish. I mean, Moses, Jack? Yeah, we're just saying in here there's not much better than like fried fish. It's pretty easy. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's damn simple. I'm not talking like, yeah, hey, maybe you don't like fried tilapia because tilapia is garbage. It's swimming garbage. You know, or maybe, you know, you've had like a bad fried catfish that tastes like dirt. I can't tell, but like a, like a well-done like battered and fried Mm-hmm. I don't know, pick your white fish, like, you know, like, uh, like, you know, cod or place. From his, no? No. Because you think it's déclassé? No. <laughs> but you used to like it when you were a kid. Yeah, I just don't like fried fish. Oh, Jesus. All right. Okay. Back to the question. Show's, I want, the show's over. Yeah, it's like I'm just too depressed to go on. I'm too, I'm too depressed to continue the show. I mean, I don't even understand that. Like, how do you... Erica you... Wides is in here, and she doesn't really like any kind of product like that, but she even likes fried fish. Of course. I mean, everybody. But and I... fish sticks, too. Yeah, because fi- all they are is a not-quite-as-good version of a fried fish, right? So you can knock it on a quality basis, but not conceptually. Do you know what I'm saying? But look, what I don't understand is how do you grow up liking something and then all of a sudden not like it anymore? Like, did a fried fish beat the crap out of your boyfriend at prom? What the hell happened? You know what I mean? It's like, how do you stop liking fried fish? It's not that she's a vegetarian, my friends, because that would, I could say, okay, she just gave up fish altogether. But this lady pounds sushi and crudo like, like she could take the whole freaking ocean down if she wanted to. So it's not a question of that. You know what I mean? I don't get it. Back to the question. I want to double down on the cod. So create a bacalao cream, 250 mils of heavy cream, 250 grams salt cod, rehydrated and chopped, 250 grams russet potatoes, cooked, blend in Vitamix, and strain well. Uh, you better strain it well if you're going to put it through an EC because uh, anything can clog an EC, even like little, like, you know, too much vanilla seeds, you know, if you get it clump, can clog an EC. For service, I want hot whipped cream texture from this, so I strain into an EC and charge with N2O. I hold it at 50 degrees Celsius or 70, no change in texture. It comes out well enough, an attractive foam, somewhere between shaving foam. I like that word. You like that word, Stas? Shaving foam. Shaving foam. Shaving foam and whipped cream. Uh, Stas likes it when I put a bunch of H's in them. Whipped. Uh, Whipped cream, but rather quickly defates into an uninspiring blob. Stas hates blobs, right? What do you hate more, an uninspiring blob or a leaf fungus? Oh, God, you know. Uh, leaf fungus. Uh, if I dispense from the EC at cool room temperature, it holds its shape well. So the heat is causing the foam matrix to destabilize and collapse. Any suggestions how to stabilize this? I expect gelatin will be too soft at 50 to 70. How about agar, agar? I've also got xanthan, but that's the extent of any of my monitor's pantry. Thanks, Chris. Either one will work. If you're going to do the agar, what I recommend you do is you make a fluid gel of the agar, just a little bit in water. Do a 1% fluid gel in water and uh, dope that in. You're only going to need a little bit to stabilize what, what you're doing, uh, most likely. Or if, if you want you can make an agar fluid gel with the whip with the cream itself but don't make it too stiff in that case you want it like kind of a like a lighter fluid gel somewhere in the in the in the range of like uh oh like uh yeah seven tenths of a percent six tenths of a percent something like this yeah not even maybe like because it's already holding right so you only need a little bit of holding power so i would say maybe like five grams per liter on the cream Five to seven grams per liter. Try somewhere in there of agar, agar. Uh, Xanthan will also do it. You can also do a light fluid gel on the agar and then add a little xanthan uh, to it to firm it up. You just want to – here's the big issue. Whenever you're doing uh, an ISI with a fluid gel, remember that uh, it will hold itself in the ISI. So first of all, whenever you do a fluid gel, blend the crap out of it in the VitaPrep because it needs to be smooth. Otherwise, it's not a fluid gel. It's just a bunch of little shards of crystals that don't look good. Also, put your finger over 
the uh, over the EC whip over the dispenser on the EC whip every time you're going to dispense. Flick down, and that'll make sure that all of the fluid gel gets slapped down to where the dispensing nozzle is, so that you can dispense properly. Otherwise, kind of no love. But either of those two things uh, should work uh, without without too much uh, trouble, because all you're looking to do is hot stabilize, and, and uh, agar will hot stabilize easily up to 70 degrees Celsius. I wouldn't go much higher because the agar is going to start to melt in around the 85 in the 80 range. But like if you literally are using a circulator to hold it at 70, it's going to be no problem. So that uh, should work. Yeah. You like that, Seth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good answer. She doesn't care. Uh, Alex in Toronto writes in, Dear Dave, Nastasha, and Jack, and now Moses. Uh, I stumbled across this video, uh, which there's a link, which you can't see because you're listening to this on the radio, but maybe we'll put it on the, uh, we'll put it on the thing. I stumbled across, I'll say a video, how about that? I stumbled across a video which describes making a rapid infusion sangria using a cheap, uh, using the cheap vacuum wine savers. Trade name Vacuvan. Uh, I would assume this will never suck a vacuum powerful enough to compare with the machines you are used to, but I was wondering if you could give me some sense of how this technique could be used by an extremely frugal home cook. The video claims to create an infusion in about five minutes, similar to a 24-hour infusion at atmospheric pressure. If this is true, this would be only slightly slower than uh, EC rapid infusion. Any insights, thoughts, or ideas? And here is the link, and this will be useless to you. HTTP, HTTP. Colon forward forward YouTube dot buh forward slash E D L P U L B M U J W. Well, it turns out I watched this video and Stas, you will not believe who uh, did the video. It's our boy Clifford Endo Gulliver, uh, who's awesome. I love that guy. He's like uh, he's like our he's uh, he's our giant Palauan friend. Uh, and he works now for the Food Network. So if you look up uh, Food Network, um, Food Network, like, you know, I don't know, Vacuvan, Sangria, Clifford, you should be able to, to find this video. And Clifford uh, actually was one of our interns back at the French Culinary Institute. And uh, even though Stas was incredibly mean to him when, when he started to uh, – I believe Stas' exact words when, when – because like three or four people came that first day when he was there, right? Mm-hmm. And Cl- Cliff like loves to – and by the way, Cliff is mentioned in the cocktail book because the Cliff Old Fashioned is – you know, was his idea to use that coriander syrup to do the Old Fashioned. And so he's actually in the cocktail book because we have the Cliff Old Fashioned in the cocktail book. Anyway, Stas was like uh, – Stas was like, just like my grandma, we're letting everybody in. Literally what, what you said. First of all, why are you calling? I feel really bad about about saying you feel bad for Cliff, or you feel bad for your grandma, Cliff. Whoa! So like, still, still throwing some, still throwing some slut down on your grandma. No, that was it's no, no. She would like take people in and help, you know, help poor people and stuff. Oh, that wasn't the implication that you gave at the time. You gave the implication that like any guy shows up and it's community chess grandma. That's what you. That's. That's the way Cliff took it. Oh, That's why wow. Cliff was like okay. double horrified. Oh, jeez, no. Cliff was like double horrified because his first time he's meeting you, and it's like, I can't believe that this lady's dogging her grandma this way, and which I frankly couldn't believe either. And then at the same time, like being so mean to him before. And by the way, Cliff, extremely awesome guy, like, you know, artist and like, you yeah, know. For the first like three months, we just had him move boxes. That is not the case. 
That is not the case. Anyways, so yes, so the uh, the uh, using the vacuum van as an infusion technique is a technique developed a long time ago at the French culinary. And but Clifford is using it to good effect to make a sangria. And he actually, I looked at the video. He's got some uh, elaborations on the technique that uh, I don't know. I, I like his style because similar to like the way I, I was saying things. Like if he if he see the average person like doesn't pay attention, right? Right? Obviously. Like, Stas is not paying attention right now. Like, literally right now, Stas is not paying attention. You cannot. That is the biggest crap. Ooh, I hate that argument that people say they can multitask. You can't multitask. That's why, like, that's why last week on the radio I was like, hey, Stas, you're like, oh, I don't know. I didn't hear you because I was trying to do an email. You don't, you're not multitasking. I knew you're null tasking. People who multitask actually null task. They're getting nothing done. They're called, it's called zero tasking. It's a new thing that I want people to be aware of in the world nowadays where people try to do so many damn things that they actually do nothing. Like the fact that people are buried in their freaking phones, which I hate. They're buried in their freaking phones. And when you're buried in your phone, right, I guarantee you that the person that you're now texting, when you're with them, you're buried in your phone texting me. It makes no damn sense. Null tasking. Do some damn work. This is why people get frustrated with me. They hate me because uh, I don't ever answer emails. I don't return telephone calls or any of this stuff. And the reason is is because when I'm with you, I'm with you. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, it's because I'm old. It's because I'm freaking old. Uh, back to Clifford. So uh, so he does a sangria where he puts the, uh, the wine and some fruit juice and some sugar back in the wine bottle. And the, the trick, the whole trick when you're using the vacuum van uh, to infuse things is to chop things small enough so that they can fit into the wine bottle and so you can shake them back out again. And then he then, what I like about it is he, he, ba- he basically beats you over the head, which I think is wise because, as I said, people aren't paying attention. So he tells you to suck, suck some more, suck, suck some more, suck some more, and then, you know, you know <laughs> with the vacuum van. You know what I'm talking about, Stas? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what am I talking about? Vacuum van sucking the wine in. All right, all right. <laughs> so, like, uh, sucking on, suck, you have to test her like this, like a little child, like, like my 10-year-old. Uh, so you're sucking on it, suck some more, and then he says, and when you're done sucking, suck some more, which I appreciate. This is good advice from Clifford. But then he has this uh, technique where he says to lay it on its side to infuse. Now, what you're doing there, by the way, with the vacuum van is you're just uh, – vacuum van is not very good at sucking a vacuum, like in terms of the actual absolute level of vacuum that it can suck. But the advantage that you have if you suck for minutes at a t- time on it is that you're constantly drawing air out of the fruit. In this case, he put apples into the sangria. You're constantly drawing air out the entire time you're doing it. And uh, so even though you never get a very good vacuum, you're constantly removing air from the bottle, and therefore you're sucking more and more air out. This is what's allowing the infusion to happen is the fact that you let the air out. So then he rests it on its side. And I don't really know why. After Next time I talk to Clifford, I don't know why he tells you to rest the bottle on its side. That's kind of like the elaboration that I, didn't, I, I hadn't thought about before. I don't really know why he did it. We used to agitate it, shaking back and forth, but I don't know why he laid it on its side. Anyways, I'm sure he's got a good reason. It has to, he, may, he tested it maybe or it's better for surface area contact ratio, something like this. Too many warning. All right. So then he pop. Then he, you pop it, which he didn't show. When you pop it, that's when the actual sangria stuff is getting injected in. Uh, and then if you want, you can actually suck another round on it. But I guess the Food Network didn't want to do that because there's too much instruction. Blah 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 blah. But anyway, yes, that is a technique you can use. No, it's not quite as good as a uh, commercial vacuum machine, but it sure beats nothing. And uh, it's not also quite the same as ISI, which you can use. In fact, we did a sangria via uh, vacuum machine. We didn't, but uh, Mara from Booker and Dax did it at the uh, NRA. Not not the gun version, the uh, National Restaurant Association show. But I'm sure at the, at the Rifle Association, they would also imp- uh, appreciate a vacuum-infused sangria, right? Because yeah. what goes better with shooting guns than some sangria, <laughs> right? I guess beer. 
I guess like your first choice is beer, but then in the summer, if you didn't want a beer, like if you'd already had a beer, you wanted something else, and you were going to shoot guns, sangria might be a nice choice. <laughs> Jack, what do you think about guns and sangria? Are you for it? I'm not a huge sangria guy. Really? Or a gun guy. Yeah. You don't like sh- You're Wait. Well, after that shooting that happened this weekend, I don't really think we should talk about guns. Wow. Stas, Jesus Christ. That's a whole nother show. That's a whole nother show. That's a whole nother show. Like, the fact of the matter is, is that I'm not going to get into it now because now Stas is trying to make me feel bad. Uh, but we will talk about it uh, later. They, like, the fact of the matter is, is that target shooting is fun. No? I've just never done it. Yeah, it sounds fun. Yeah. Moses, I've never you, done never? it. I would want to if I had a chance. Yeah. But, um,. But again, I hadn't even thought about that because I haven't been watching the news, so probably a bad time to talk about it. Um, now, in the uh, one minute I have left, uh, the books that I was talking about that the Colombo episode reminded me of were uh, the Modern French Culinary Art, which is a uh, version of the Pella Pratt book. Pella Pratt was one of the, was one of the great cookbooks. Uh, he was the guy who started the Cordon Bleu Cooking School in the 1800s, and he wrote this book, which I think came out in the 20s or 30s at the end of his career, and it's kind of one of the key kind of cookbooks. It's awesome. In fact, Jacques Pepin uh, listed that as one of his favorite possessions was his Pella Pratt when he was an apprentice in his book, The Apprentice. It's an amazing cookbook. Fantastic. And the best edition for English speakers that I've ever seen is the one that was put out in the 70s by Virtue and Co. Uh, and I bought it back in the day at the Strand. The Strand uh, bookstore, you know, like, like 15, 20 years ago, wasn't air conditioned. And so you walked in there and everyone was viciously mean to you. And, but there also wasn't a lot, like things were really cheap. It, they were like half price off the cover. And there wasn't a lot of searching about and trying to figure out the true value of a book unless it was a real collector's book. So you could get things ridiculously cheap, ridiculously cheap. And so I was there looking for uh, La Russe Gastronomique was one of my, one of the cookbooks that everyone coveted back then, or books that everyone coveted back then. So I would go to the strand and search out c- good editions of La Russe because all the editions are different. And I've, Bought without really knowing Pelloprat uh, and this this issue this uh, edition from Virtue and it is freaking amazing. It's got all of those pictures in it and all those pictures were shot in the seventies and so it's kind of this amazing window into this book that was written in the thirties twenties and thirties with like all of the color pictures that you get from a book that was printed in the seventies but it hadn't been mangled very much because it was not it, it hadn't bent to the will of like Nouvelle Cuisine or any of the other stuff that it, you know was had or was going on. So it's an amazing uh, record I, uh, of that time. I then saw their other books, Buffets and Receptions, which is, oh my God, ridiculous. And some of the stuff in Colombo also in that is like, uh, you have to see this book from the 70s. Uh, and then uh, The New International Confectioner. And these are the three kind of books uh, from them, and they're still ridiculously cheap. I recommend going out and buying them. And then in advance of this, I went out and bought uh, just this morning because these books aren't, most of these books aren't collectible yet. So they're uh, still extremely cheap. They're fat, fat, fat books. And if you love looking at old, like, awesome, like, like continental and French books, which you should if you like anything that's kind of interesting because they're just sick records. Meat dishes, meat dishes in the International Cuisine. I just bought that for 2 bucks. It cost me $11 to ship it from England. Garnishing and Decoration. I don't know if that one's uh, as good, but I bought it. Uh, Fish and Shellfish, The Complete Book of Meat. And the only one that's so far is collectible, Herring's Dictionary of Classical and Modern Cookery, which you can still get cheaply. For Virtue and Go, this is Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.